We started from the ground up. It's best to fully understand the manual processes so that you know how to automate them. If you don't fully understand the manual process, the automation could cause problems and you would have no idea why. That was one of the secrets of scaling. Focus on something that really matters to you. It's, it's different for everyone. Really think about what fascinates you, what challenges you in a good way, what motivates you. Think about those things and follow that trail. My name is Alok Shah and I'm the CTO of Energy Funders. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Alok Shaw up-leveled an energy investment platform with new features and a brand new stack. All this and more on Code Story. Tech has always been a part of Alok Shaw's life. His father and mother influenced his tech interests and biomedical education. After working in nuclear medicine and supporting the special needs community, he found himself always drifting back towards tech and software development, hacking together websites and doing web consulting. Several years later, he was onboarded by the founders of Energy Funders, a platform for investing in oil and gas. And they onboarded him to help improve their technology feature set. The business took off and they found themselves in need of a full-time CTO. And Alloc was the best fit. Tell me about Energy Funders, what the company is and how you got started building it. Energy Funders is an online investment platform for direct investments in energy projects. As of right now, we're primarily oil and gas. Uh, our platform allows direct access to these oil and gas investments that typically would not be available to everyday accredited investors. Normally, large amounts of money, like a quarter of a million dollars at least, would be required per investor per project. but. We've lowered the industry's barriers for these kinds of investments to minimums of $5,000 and further improve them with transparency, efficiency, innovation, and increased trust. We're able to do that because we work with trusted operators and we carefully vet each of those opportunities for our investors. There really aren't any remaining direct competitors that offer low minimums in the kind of innovation and communication we offer through our platform in the oil and gas space. Most people may be familiar with real estate investing. After all, people own their own homes and often see that as an investment. But oil and gas investing is something that people don't really think about or they don't understand. Uh, after all, how do you buy a piece of an oil well, right? But there are some very interesting advantages to investing in oil and gas that just aren't there in other investments like the stock market or real estate. Don't get me wrong though, it's a complex investment product. but. We've taken that complex product and simplified it for the average investor. In that way, Energy Funders is certainly unique. To date, we've successfully raised for over 30 projects and have thousands of investors on our site. Our number one core value is investor first. I'd have to say the way I started with Energy Funders was quite the journey. It wasn't really just me applying for a job, rather it was Fortunate events, I'd say, that led to my meeting with Casey Minshew, the CEO of Energy Funders. 
So after I left the medical field, I decided to do some self-study with actual technologies in use at the time. Um, you know, I started with Perl, PHP, MySQL, and I started to make websites and play around with different database-driven pages, content management systems, and so on. I made a few blogs, some friendly websites for our group of friends, and you know, some other random sites about random topics. Um, I made them on places like GeoCities and then eventually shared hosting. After a few years as a freelancer, um, I started my own consulting business and then some time after that, I wanted to put what I had learned to the test. So I had actually joined a small software company that made webinar software as a service. I started as a software engineer and I still remember my first major project. And that was converting the entire backend of the platform from Perl to PHP. At the time, the webinar front end was flash based, but the back end was entirely in Perl and it was written by the founder of the company a few years before. When I came on board, my knowledge in Perl was really helpful. We did some feature enhancements to the platform, but you know, we quickly realized that it would be difficult to maintain and improve as the business grew. So we decided to rewrite the entire back end in what was modern PHP for the time. That was a pretty big project, and we had several other developers that worked on the front end, but I was the only one working on the back end. And you know, when we finished the rewrite, it was a major overhaul in user experience and user interface, and it was a pretty big success. So through word of mouth, mostly by our webinar attendees, new customers started to flock to the platform, and we grew pretty rapidly people that signed up, they were leaving other big name companies and coming to us. So, um, you know, writing on that success and, you know, some others, after a while, I became the director of operations and finally the chief technology officer there. Now, while I was a CTO, our founder had got lured away with some new business ideas and he hired a short-term CEO as his replacement. And so fast forward a little bit more, it was through him that I was introduced to Casey, the CEO of Energy Funders. Now, after talking with Casey and seeing the platform that they had at the time, I started as a senior technology consultant. We discussed how to improve the existing platform, you know, by doing some integration work, adding some new features and some security enhancements. But after a few months and, you know, several successful updates, there was a, there was a big boom on the Energy Funders platform. Oil prices, which were up and down, and then, you know, then they were really down and then they started to come back up. and it looked like they were going to continue. So it wasn't until later that we realized that oil prices would stabilize where they did. But during that entire time, boom and bust, we realized that the business model was working and platform improvements were key to making that happen. The Energy Funders team knew they wanted to grow out the platform even more. And by that time, I had a pretty complete understanding of the way the system worked there were still some serious shortcomings of the current platform. Energy funders needed a full-time CTO and I fit the bill perfectly for that role. So I've been with energy funders now for almost four years. So tell me about the MVP. You, it sounds like you came in and, and helped them early on, even before you were uh, affiliated or employed or part of the team. When you walked into that situation, tell me about the MVP, how the product was, you know, what you did to it and what sort of tech you were using. When I came on board at Energy Funders, there was already a working version of the platform with some pretty simple functionality. Um, I typically call that version one. Um, it was built with PHP and a MySQL database. And you can say that that was actually the real minimum viable product. 
after I came on board as a CTO, we realized that we were going to need a version two of the platform that was more modern in development, operation, and design. Version two of our platform took almost two years of time to build. A lot of that time was spent thinking about and go, even going down different paths of technology stacks. We had initially researched and thought about newer versions and frameworks of PHP. You know, that way it could be done more simply. But, you know, we'd also even thought about .NET and C Sharp. Um, you know, we finally settled though on JavaScript. We had selected Node.js and Express Server as the backend and React.js as the front end. Considering that we were going with full stack JavaScript, we also thought about using a no, no SQL uh, system like MongoDB. But, you know, after, after some analysis, we knew that our data is highly relational. And so we decided on continuing with MySQL. We decided to move to a more scalable infrastructure. So we moved from regular dedicated hosting to cloud hosting on AWS. So in the MVP, what, you know, what decisions and trade-offs did you have to make kind of in the short term? And, and how did your team cope with that? So as a startup, um, the main decisions were really driven by our development budget. You know, remember that version two was a completely new build from the ground up with a totally different technology stack. You could kind of say it was like starting all of, you know, starting up all over again. But, you know, we did take the best ideas from version one and, you know, that's what we used for version two. We knew which parts worked and which parts didn't. And because we were building it totally new from the ground up, one of the main trade-offs that we wanted to go into with it was going a bit slower, but actually making security a focal point from the beginning. A lot of the times that meant that the development was slower than expected, but we weren't just putting together code and functionality as quickly as possible. We, you know, we were thoroughly testing the security functionality as we were building it. And if something had issues, we worked on it until it passed security testing. That also meant we had to cut functionality that was supposed to be released at launch. We knew we had several deadlines. There were time deadlines, functionality deadlines, and cost deadlines as well. Um, you know, we had to do a third party security assessment and penetration test. So those take time to perform and can be quite costly as well. I thought to myself that, you know, there's, after the security assessment's done, there's gonna be the report and then we have to make revisions on that. And just all of that takes time and money too. But looking at it down the road, I'm actually glad we chose this path and the trade-offs that we did. We fared quite well in the security assessment. And while it was difficult to cope initially, with the missing functionality, we continue to work. And over time, we've built an amazing platform with a large feature set. How has the product progressed You know, as you matured it? Yeah, so since the initial rollout of our version two of our platform about a year and a half ago, we've been able to mature the platform pretty significantly in several places. Um, I think it's important to say that when we rolled out version two, there was still a lot of manual work that was being done by our deal vetting team and our investor relation team. Um, at the time, perhaps the only automated things were user registration, investor accreditation, um, looking at the investment opportunities, making an, making an investment, and then for the admins to see some basic information about those investments. Beyond that, everything was manual, especially the majority of the administrative functionality. We knew that in order to scale, we'd have to do a lot of automating of these processes. And so we actually learned through Airbnb story. Um, there was a post on Medium by Jonathan Golden. And I remember one of the parts of it that said, it's best to fully understand 
the manual processes so that you know how to automate them. If you don't fully understand the manual process, the automation could cause problems and you would have no idea why. That was one of the secrets of scaling. So with that, our tech team started to work more closely with the investor relations team and the project vetting team, especially for the administrative tasks. We started to understand what it was that they were doing manually so that we could build automation for those processes. We found out that since we understood it better, we could start doing massive automation for many of the tasks. For example, better KYC of our investors, dividend payouts, project document generation and storage and more. And by working with the investor relations team and getting feedback from investors, one of the biggest platform improvements over the last year was the total overhaul of the investor experience. That's from the time they sign up on the registration page, go through the identity verification, link their bank account and review project investments on the platform and complete the investment process. That part alone gave our platform a very polished look and feel for our investors. So how did you go about building your team and structuring it to align with product development? And I think from a team standpoint, I, I really am interested in how you chose the people on your team. Like what, what made them the winning horses? Yeah, so uh, after we had a lot of trial and error with different technologies, um, you know, we had decided that we wanted to work with full stack JavaScript. So since we knew what we wanted to do, we built our team around that technology stack. Um, we built it around the roadmap and the development cycle. So um, because budget was a major factor, we started with a small team that could grow as the company grew, but we still wanted to maintain the fast pace that we began with. So as of right now, um, you know, we're still a small team, but we're able to make some pretty great progress on platform development. So how do you go about building your roadmap? So from the beginning, you know, we, we truly saw our business as a platform. Um, in determining our roadmap, one of the major driving factors was a book called Platform Revolution by Parker, Alstein, and Chowdhury. All of us executives read the book, and I can tell you we were really captivated by that book. Chapter after chapter, we would discuss what it meant for energy funders. After finishing the book, we ended up actually redoing and reprioritizing our roadmap so that it focused on three distinct areas, the investor experience, the fundraiser or operator experience, and the administrative experience. When it came to the investor experience, we had to think about the participants, the value unit being offered, and the interaction. Those are actually the main concepts from the book. So as for the roadmap, we also had to think about how those improvements, how improvements in those areas would drive growth and what we needed to do for that. We chose to address this by listening you know, directly to our investors. We asked them what their difficulties and pain points were with the platform. We discussed how we could make that experience better for them. We looked at what issues are high impact, had great, you know, they greatly affected their investor experience and we started by prioritizing those. For the administrative experience, there's a lot of rules and regulations in our space. You know, we have to follow all of them. And for the people who have to deal with all that, we had to think about how we can continue to automate these manual processes and improve the ones that are in place while still staying compliant to these rules and regulations. As for the fundraisers, the operating companies that submit projects to us for review, we had to think about how we can improve their process, such as getting documentation from them and vetting them. Uh, remember that as a platform, it's a two-sided interaction. 
we wanted to make sure that there was a good value unit being offered and that the offer, the fundraiser of the projects were able to bring them to us. If there are too many investors and not enough product, um, they lose interest and go elsewhere. But on the flip side, if there's too much investment opportunity and not enough investors to fill them, then the platform looks stale and lifeless. We also had to think about technical debt. Remember, um, other executives typically don't see the burdens of technical debt, but keeping up with security, updates to the infrastructure, software components, and more, that's always an ongoing thing. We definitely had to factor that into our roadmap as well. So did you build this solution to scale efficiently, or, or are you building it to scale efficiently with an eye to the future? Yeah, so um, honestly, I'd say it's it's a bit of both. Um, you know, with version one, we, we fought with scale and development just because of the way it was built. Um, version one of the platform was built before I joined. And at the time, the founders were bootstrapping the business. They got it up and running as quickly as possible. None of them were technologists, but a couple of them had some background in what programming languages could be used for rapid development. And so with some external help, they were able to put it together. Um, once built, it ran fine for a while, but you know, soon after I joined the team and we started to make improvements and then there was the boom on the platform that I talked about earlier. Um, the projects we put on the platform started to get bigger. There was more traffic to the site, there were more investors, more simultaneous views, more document downloads, more of everything. It was, you know, it was then that we knew that we were going to fight with scale. So we started to talk about version two. I knew that um, for version two, we wanted to allow the platform to scale efficiently from the beginning. That's also the reason why we ended up settling on more modern technologies like Node.js and, uh, you know, scalable cloud infrastructure on AWS. Um, that said, though, even today with more investors, more views, more projects, um, I can tell you pretty confidently that our platform runs blazing fast with rapid pay changes and you know rapid server response times. Um, as far as the scalability for the future, you know we started from the ground up. That meant several things. Um, you know we had to we wanted to accommodate for tens of thousands of investors making dozens of concurrent investments and receiving regular dividend payouts and, you know, even allowing more fundraisers to bring projects to the platform. So you mentioned something that sparked my interest on, on payments. So how do you move money in your platform? What do you use to move money between investors and investment mediums and things of that nature? Yeah, that's a great question. So in the past, we actually did that fairly manually. And that was one of the, one of the pain points that we had from an administrative point. And so what we wanted to do was to automate that by allowing investors to be able to send money to us for their investments and then being able to pay out these dividends, you know, you know, in an automatic way as well. So we actually uh, worked with a partner company called Dwala, who I guess you can say they're kind of like the PayPal of the ACH business. We knew that we had wanted to really do everything bank to bank so that we could kind of keep the costs down. So when we reached out to Dwala, they had an API and they had automation and they had um, a complete process that really worked with the entire business that we wanted to do. So from the perspective of allowing investors to make those investments and having that money transfer from their bank account automatically to the fund account, um, that was through Dwala. And then vice versa if we you know when projects start to pay out and there's 
there's a return on them, we wanted to be able to distribute those funds to the investors as well. And so uh, Dwala has a mass pay functionality as well that where we can take the earnings that we've made and distribute them to the investors that are a part of that project. And that automation really, really helped our, really helped move our platform forward quite a bit. Today's episode is sponsored by Dwala. Dwala is a fintech company helping clients solve a fundamental business problem, how to best move money. Payments are a key component of every business, yet one that can be difficult to understand. Dwala's ACH Payment API removes the complexity involved in moving money to and from bank accounts, so businesses can continue to focus on their core revenue streams. ACH transfers are efficient, reliable, and with Dwala available for any business. I've partnered with Dwala for over two years now and can vouch for two important aspects of their business, solid, reliable technology and amazing customer support. Dwala enabled our team to achieve same-day pay on our platform. And if my team needs anything, we can rely on Dwala's support team to get an answer quickly. Dwala is at the forefront of a payments revolution, having created a ready-made connection to America's money-moving network and is ready to help your business scale. Start building against Dwala's API in the sandbox environment today for free. Visit www.dwala.com slash codestory to get started. Have you always used Dwala to move money or did you switch to Dwala? Were they your, your first integration partner? So when we started version two, we knew that we were going to need an integration partner. And we had talked with several of them, several different ones, but we ended up settling with Dwala just because of the power of their API, the convenience, and um, just kind of the name and the scale of everything. So, um, you know, we, we settled on them and we've been with them ever since. Well, tell me, you've been with energy funders for, for quite a while and you've, you've made some headway in the platform. You've built some amazing things. What are you most proud of? So I know this might sound a little bit cliched, but there's a lot that I'm proud of. I'm proud of the platform, the technology we build, the business on all, but mostly I'd say I'm proud of the people that I work with. From the rest of our executive team, our project vetting team, our investor relations team, and also our developers. The executive team I work with fully understands what we can and cannot do in timeframes and budgets that we've planned out. Um, I'll give you an example. There's a lot of technology buzzwords that float around and it's easy for CEOs and COOs to get hooked into them. But as the CTO, I take the responsibility of explaining the pros and cons to the rest of the team. One of the things I've been told by many people is how I'm able to take complicated technology concepts and be able to explain them to less technical people in a way that they can understand. I, I think it's because of that that people are able to make better decisions by really understanding the ideas behind those concepts and the business impacts they cause. I look at everything from both sides. So I explain the pros and cons and I'd like to believe that with that we're able to make really great decisions. My development team understands this as well. Sometimes they also have you know, ideas that they want to implement. Um, they want to put in the latest and greatest technologies. But just like with upper management, I try to take the same approach with them. After discussing the pros and cons, we're able to make decisions that everyone agrees on and we can build a great platform that we can all be proud of. 
Let's flip the coin a little bit. Tell me about a mistake that you made and, and how your team responded to it. Yeah, so sometimes it's easy to feel that if I'd only done this or done that or done something a different way, I think of I think of them as mistakes, you know, for some of them and then some of them in the long run, it's not such a big deal. Um, that said though, in my mind, I, I still think of one of them today. It was a time when we went down a wrong development path with a wrong outsource team and a technology stack that just wasn't right for us. You know, this happened when I had just come on board as a CTO and we were thinking about version two of our platform. Like I'd mentioned before, there were many choices to make and I think being caught, it was, it was me being caught in analysis paralysis. Because of that, I think we got bombarded with too much external advice. Um, you know, we had a lot of input from larger investors on our platform on what they wanted to see. There were some of them that who were technologists themselves, um, and along with com you know other company investors and senior board members, uh, their contacts and resources. We just got a lot of different ideas. I know that they all truly wished the best for us, but that led to a lot of confusion, and the mistake cost us a lot of time and money because we. You know, it took us a while to realize that we were going down the wrong path. It was almost like six months, but you know, we, we learned better later than never. And our team responded by scrapping that build. We considered it a lesson learned and we moved forward by restarting from scratch. This time though, we internalized user stories and, you know, took a different application approach. Um, you know, we engaged with local development resources with experience and development the way we wanted to build. You know, we wanted to build a platform for ease of use, security, maintenance, and scalability for the future. So what does the, the future look like for the product and for your team? Yeah, so the future looks great, actually, for our, our platform and our team. Um, Energy Funders is continuing to work with bigger and better operators. Um, you know, many of them even publicly traded companies with proven histories of successful projects. We're doing well with payout distributions to investors. We're growing our investor base, both online through our reputation and through word of mouth. Uh, we, you know, when investors receive payouts, they're happy to tell their friends and so on. From the platform perspective, we're looking to implement even more new features and more automation. For example, right now, the majority of our products are conventional drilling projects but we're looking to bring new types of products to the platform, like adding unconventional projects and uh, even alternative energy projects. With those types of projects, it means that investors can start to invest using their IRAs and 401ks. So we need to integrate with systems and partners that can accommodate that. You know, that also means more automation for those kinds of payouts. And, you know, we're even looking at international investors. Uh, right now, I think the United States is uh, one of the few, if not the only countries that you can actually own mineral rights. In. And there's a lot of international people that want to be in on it too. So that means there's a huge opportunity to expand to international investors. We're going to be looking at international payments and payment fulfillment, working with those partners as a way to issue dividends back to them as well. So that means that, you know, we'd want to put the platform in different languages as well. Um, we've had outlets that have actually reached out to us from Mexico, from the United Kingdom, Hong Kong. You know, we'll help them follow their guidelines so that they can get into energy investing too. We're also looking at possibly tokenizing assets and putting them on the blockchain and offering those to international investors. Of course, this is all somewhere in the future. Um, you know, 
we've been growing in the years past. We've done exceptionally well this year, and we're planning for mass growth in the coming years. Well, name name an architect, a CTO, or a tech person that you look up to, and why. Tell me, tell me who influences you. Rather than an individual, I'd have to say that there's several leading technology companies that I look up to, and I follow their work.、Um, you know, I really believe that these companies are successful not just because of a single person. Sure, they may have had their you know a dream or a vision, but it was the teams of people. Who work together to innovate and improve and push the capabilities of tech forward? Companies like Microsoft, Mozilla, Facebook, Google, and others. I mean, despite what people's opinions of them are, you know, individually, they are the drivers of technology innovation and you know on large scales, and that trickles down to startups like ours and most others. For example, think about entire languages and technology stacks that are made open source and available to everyone. You know PHP, JavaScript. You know、uh, frameworks like React JS and even the HTML5 standard and you know audio and video formats. I mean, there's just so many of them. It's mind blowing. Other things like the mistakes they've made, the lessons they've learned, the do's and don'ts they've been through,、um, security best practices, other case studies that they've created and made available. It's things like that that companies like ours can take and you know take that technology, build on it, make improvements, and you know give back to the community. With that, you know, with all that out there, we don't need to reinvent the wheel for every project. So, we can concentrate on improving business processes, such as you know we're doing in the oil and gas space. It's because of that. It's because of those reasons that I think that all people driving technology forward should be celebrated. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Yeah. So, if I could go back to the beginning, I think the main thing that I would do differently. Would be to research more on the technologies and settling on the one that was right for us more quickly. Like I'd mentioned before, there was a lot of time and expense lost on wavering between technology stacks and essentially getting stuck in analysis paralysis. There, there's a lot of options out there, and honestly, everyone has an opinion. But being able to navigate that and come to a proper decision, it's still something I think about, and I feel that I could have done differently. Last question: What what advice would you give someone just getting started on this road? So you're you're on a plane and you're flying somewhere, and you sit next to someone who has their laptop out. They're they're young, they're excited about their idea, they're starting to dev,、um, and they just want to show you and tell you all about it. What advice would you give that person? So I, I the advice I'd give is the same thing that、uh, you know a mentor of mine had given to me、um, when I was starting out in tech, and that was. It's to focus on something that really matters to you. It's it's different for everyone. Obviously, everyone has something, whether you know it's a specific industry or a cause or a technology or challenge, something that speaks to them and motivates them. Sometimes it's people that you work with or the experiences that you had on a particular project, which shape and drive your interests. So my advice would be to really think about what fascinates you, what challenges you in a good way, what motivates you. Think about those things and follow that trail. Well, Alok, thank you for being on the Code Story podcast. Thank you for telling the creation story of Energy Founders. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is a production of TouchTap LLC, and is hosted and produced by Noah Lapart, and edited by George Macharco.
Special thanks to Deanna Chapman and Stephanie Campisi for their promotional support. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Breaker, or the podcasting app of your choice. Make sure to check us out at CodeStory.co or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.